Hello, this is Jane Gunn, the Corporate Peacemaker and author of How to Beat Bedlam in the Boardroom and Boredom in the Bedroom. And this podcast is about how we can each use the skills and tools of mediation and conflict resolution to lead happier and more productive lives. So I'm speaking today with Dr. Molly Marty, who is a performance psychologist, university professor and the author of 12 Factors of Business Success. And she is also the founder of bestlifedesign.com, a new business about seven months old. So, Molly, welcome. Thank you, Jane. Glad to be here. So, Molly, tell us a little bit about your background, how you get to where you are now. I believe, like me, you're a trained lawyer and mediator. I am. And those are actually separated in time. Uh I I was first a lawyer. I clerked for the Third Circuit Court of Appeals for a few years and litigated on the East Coast. And then I went through a period of my life where I lost a lot of people that were very dear to me in a short amount of time, including my mom and my aunt, who was like a second mother, and my three-year-old niece died of brain cancer. And I just had a series of events that made me stop and reassess my life and I had learned firsthand how short it is and how uh, precious it is and that led me to psychology that really led me to where I wanted to learn um, how to support other people in making the most out of their life as I was doing the same thing for me and so I went to grad school for psychology thinking I would teach at a college level So I got my PhD in psychology, and um, while I was in grad school, I discovered performance psychology. I started doing a lot of research with the sports teams at the University of Iowa, where I still consult with several of those teams, and really started studying success factors and peak performance. So that led me to a different path. I, I still teach as an adjunct, but I'm really out there working more with groups and teams and corporations and doing speaking and teaching people about these life success factors. The mediation came in um, actually after I graduated as a psychologist with my doctorate and I was introduced to a type of mediation called transformative mediation and on a spectrum with directive mediation on one end where you know I I have done that as well where I step in as the expert I'm the lawyer the psychologist I have a good sense of the subject matter and the dispute and I know where I think is the best place for these parties to end up and I work to get them to that result Transformative mediation is on the other end of that spectrum, and it really is coming from the philosophy that the litigants, the parties, are the experts in their dispute. They know what is the best result for them. They have perspectives and experiences that I simply don't understand, and so I really create a safe space for them and provide that safety and security and allow them and support them in reaching the best result for them. So I did run a mediation group for a couple of years as a psychologist. And then as I became a published author and did more uh, speaking, uh, you know, that process of success, you need to keep saying no to the uh, smaller things to say those bigger yeses. And so I uh, transitioned out of mediation. But but your experience with transformative mediation, I guess, may have helped you because I know that it's a very facilitative rather than we we make a distinction in the UK between the facilitative mediation where you're doing what you describe facilitating the uh, decision makers in their decision making and evaluative mediation where we're actually 
helping them or actually even making the decision for them. And you've moved on now, Molly, and, and written a book about business success, The 12 uh, Factors of Business Success. So, so what prompted you to write that? Well, I made a decision. I was actually at a world-class life event, and I heard a coach who's now a, a esteemed and, and dear colleague of mine, but I heard a coach say something that I hadn't said a hundred times uh, to uh, myself, to my clients, to my kids, but for some reason, I was very ready to hear that message. And he was talking about personal integrity and that if you truly value integrity, which I do, that you won't walk through life with those unaccomplished dreams, that you won't say, someday I'll do this and someday I'll do that. You'll really start working on those things now. Otherwise, you're out of integrity. And he said, what would your best friends, your family, everybody say you want to do while you're here? And it dawned on me very clearly that if you asked my husband, my kids, my siblings, my best friends, they would all say write a book. I mean, hands down, I had been talking about it for a long time. And so I made the decision to stop teaching because, again, you need to make space as you bring new things onto your plate. And so I had made that decision to not teach and to write my first book which was going to be a performance psychology book. That was a book my clients were asking for. Mm -hmm. And uh, Kevin Hogan, a psychologist in Minneapolis, came to me during that time where I had just cleared that plate and I was spending that summer with my kids. And he had a book. I actually am a co-author on a first book called Selling. And it's about uh, success strategies, but for salespeople. And he had a psychologist in... California, who was going to have her first child, and it dawned on her she simply could not birth her first book and her first baby, and she chose the baby, and I said, that's a really good decision, and Kevin said, I need someone who can write twenty or 25,000 words in the next four weeks. Oh. It's, a pretty, it's a pretty short list, you, and I said, yes, I will do this, and I put a lot of my performance psych work and my business work into that book. But what happened then is Kevin saw my writing, Dave Lacani, another author on that book, saw my writing, and they immediately said, we need to take you to our editor at Wiley. And so the 12 factors came out of that. So I actually wrote two books that year. Wow. <laughs> and and now I'm working on uh, a couple of my own books. What, what are some of the key lessons from, from the book then? Well, there's 12 factors. You know, everybody wants to know what's the most important one, and they really are uh, integrative. We start with self-discipline. That really is. We agreed on that pretty quickly, that you don't get very far without it, and it, it has been eroding culturally in America over the last several decades, and so we talk a lot about being very clear on what you're accomplishing and then doing it until it is done and that there is no room in a successful life to wake up and say, I wonder if I should write today. I wonder if I should go for my jog today. I wonder if I should. Right? You need to have those success routines. You need to be disciplined. You need to keep moving forward bit by bit, day after day after day. So that's where it starts with the self-discipline. We cover a lot of ground with the directed action and you know, decision making, something people struggle with, confidence, mastering criticism is a big one. Uh, the self control, uh, we take wealth building head on because that is an essential success factor. And we go through support structures and really end up factor 12 is called success mind. And that's really where all these factors come together and it, it goes beyond a way of thinking to a way of feeling and doing and being. And it's where 
you learn from your mistakes and you give meaning to all the experiences in your life. We have wonderful experiences, but we do have challenges and uh, those are brought to us so we can learn from them and really become a better version of ourselves. So we talk about that. We talk about the power of saying yes and how that creates opportunities. And we just talk about how, how all of uh, these things come together in a success mindset that continues to take you to a higher and higher level. And in a way, you're talking there about moving away from just doing things to, to being and to being the person that you have aspired to be or perhaps dreamed that you would be but hadn't quite got around to, to doing the things that you needed to do to get there. Exactly. And it's psychologists call that your self-ideal. And even in my work as a psychologist, like I said, I had been working with clients and helping them build that and, and having that in my life and thought I was really on track. And yet I was given an opportunity to have that invitation to say, you know what, there's a piece of that self-ideal that's a best-selling author. There's a piece of that self-ideal that's writing those books and sharing that wealth of education and experience and gifts that you've been given. And so it's an ongoing process because even when we know who we are and where we want to go, we have influences inside of us. You know, we're talking about conflict today, those interpersonal influences, uh, biological, physiological, there's things that continuously move us around. And so you need a, a toolbox to manage those influences to keep you on track, to get you back on track so that you can keep moving forward toward that self-ideal. So one of the conflicts that many people are experiencing, especially in these times of economic uncertainty, is that they're not as successful as they want to be. So what, Molly, do you think really gets in the way of success? Well, I think there's four big uh, saboteurs of success, and they are uh, rearing their ugly heads a little bit more now uh, than ever because, like I said, you get pushed around by the media, by the negativity, by, you know, fall into scarcity or lack mentality. But I think the the big things that get people off track are comfort. We want to be comfortable. We're wired for it as people. We want to be safe and secure. And so you need to be extremely intentional and disciplined about overriding how we are predisposed to stay in our comfort zones and stay safe. Fear and those buttons are being pushed. Uh, they're being pushed, like I said, by the media, by uh, the marketers. <laughs> they're being pushed everywhere you look. People are pushing that fear button. Doubt. And so that's why confidence, for example, is one of our success factors uh, because you can't uh, – Move through that doubt if you don't believe that you have what it takes and that you can use those resources and get the job done. And so really, you know, doubt is healthy. I want people to doubt in that they question their plan, that they put a plan B and C in place, that they're looking at something with critical thinking. But I'm talking about destructive doubt. I'm talking about that doubt that questions one's ability about whether they can overcome the adversity that's in front of them. And then the fourth is habit. And we have habits, bad habits of procrastination, of perfectionism, of other um, habits of behavior that will keep us stuck until we uh, get intentional about those and actively rewrite those habits and, and form new, positive, good, forward-moving habits. 
And one of the things that strikes me about uh, your writing, Molly, is that you, you mentioned that we ought to strive for excellence in everything that we do. Yes, not perfection, but excellence. And I say perfection is the enemy of excellence. And I don't think this uh, story has made its way into a book. It will be in my performance psych book I'm writing. So if you'd like me to share when that story was, or that lesson was really driven home to me. I, okay. When I was in grad school and I was studying performance psychology, I worked with and studied with a man who had done a lot of work in the medical field as well. He was a psychologist, but very interested in the biological and the physiological side of psychology. And he had the opportunity to get gowned and and witness a surgery. And what he witnessed was an organ transfer, an organ donation and a transfer. And so the uh, heart surgeon had so many hours to get the organ, you know, out of the cooler and get that into the recipient. And uh, he was performing the surgery. And my colleague was watching all of this. And as the surgeon was stitching up that man, he looked up at my colleague and the way that he told the story was was so wonderful because you could just uh, be there and see that surgeon looking him in the eye and really making this point and he said you know I'm capable of doing a perfect stitch after all these years of experience I'm probably capable of doing several perfect stitches but if I got stuck in that perfection and attempted to make perfect stitch after perfect stitch, the man on this table would die. Instead, I am stitching this man up, and these stitches will outlast him. (laughs) He will go to his grave, and these stitches will still be in place, and he will live. What do you think is the right decision? Well, I know what I think the right decision is. (laughs) Right. And and that really, from then on, and I am a reformed perfectionist. I'm reformed pretty much in every which way that you can be reformed. I was a very negative, uh, glass half empty kid and uh, have been through a lot. And really, uh, I can stand in front of someone and say, I've done this. And if I can do this, you can do this. That's where I'm coming from. But I heard that story at a time that I was extremely perfectionistic and you can guess you know graduated top of my class in college top of my class in grad school you know I had a lot of perfectionism and that hearing that story is what really helped me rewrite that and make different choices about the standard of excellence and the ability to get things done and that's a wonderful parable um, Molly So just to finish off, you you talked a bit earlier to me about uh, a book you're currently writing about someone who was a great mentor to you. And um, it's about maybe Walking with Justice, but you may have a different title for it. It is. The judge that I clerked for as a young lawyer and my husband and I actually got married that same month and went on our honeymoon. I passed the bar. We moved to Pennsylvania, all of this in a short period of time. But we started our married life at the side of this man. And to see him and to see him in his marriage and to see him in the community, um, in addition to being a, a, a legal giant, he really was very influential as a judge and sat on the bench for a few decades. Um, he was 
a man of great integrity and he taught us so much. And so I started writing a book on business mentorship because I was planning on, on following up on the 12 factors of business success. And I found that book morphing into this love story of my life's greatest mentor. And so it is about Judge Max Rosen and it's uh, based on his eulogy given by his two sons. And it flashes back to share stories of how, this man was formed as a child to be who he was or the different decisions he made in his life or the different ways in which he mentored all of these law clerks. He had, I think, over 80 law clerks uh, that are now deans of colleges and um, partners in the biggest law firms across the country. And they're out there making a great impact themselves. And across the country, those lawyers, just like I'm looking at right now, have a picture of Judge on their desk and they stop during their day and they look at that picture and say, judge, what would you do? And it's been just over a couple of years since he passed, but yet that answer comes back so clearly today because that type of character and that type of timeless. And so he continues his uh, impact on us and it's such a gift wait to share his story and his lessons and his wisdom with more people. Well, I'm looking forward to reading it when it's out, Molly, and thank, thank you for sharing that with us. And so you are now moving on to be a mentor for other people, which is a wonderful gift for you to, to have and to share. It's a gift, and it's one of the chapters I was actually just working on is called The Dance of Mentorship, and it's it's a process that I'm continuing to um, step into and to understand that is such a two-way street. And when I was a young lawyer and I was being mentored by the judge, I thought I was getting all that receiving. I was on the receiving end. And as I grew in my relationship with judge, I understood more of that dynamic. And now that I'm mentoring, um, it, it's such an amazing process. And, and I am truly understanding that full cycle of giving and receiving and growing together. It's a tremendous gift. Uh, that, that's a wonderful, I mean, I've so enjoyed our conversation, Molly, and so much, I think, to learn from you and your journey through life, which is interesting that you've started off with, with, with law and mediation, but, you know, it's taken you in many different ways, and, and I thank you very much for sharing those thoughts with us today. You're very welcome. I enjoyed our time. It's yeah. too short, Jane, it's so we'll... <laughs> Thank you so much, Molly. <laughs> Thank you. Be well.